Thank you so much, Matt. I invite you to take your Bible and open it with me and find with me the book of 1 John. Or if you're using an electronic version, maybe turn yours on and find 1 John, please. And this is the Word of God. It's inspired. It has been protected and given to us by the Holy Spirit. Words for our instruction. How many of you all believe that the Word of God is God's Word to us? Amen. How many of you all believe that He is still speaking to us through His Word, by His Spirit in our life? Amen. And so we approach this different than any other book because we know that God speaks to us as we study it and read it together. We're in the book of 1 John, a delightful, beautiful, encouraging, and convicting book given to us. It was written by the Apostle John. It is written for our instruction. We began this series. Pastor Jay started us in this series last week, and we're going to continue today. We're going to look at some theme verses, some theme truths all over the book of 1 John. So you're going to need your Bible, and we're going to look at these together. But let's begin with reading 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse number 5. Do you have your Bible? Please open it and follow along. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Father in heaven, speak to our heart today. We're listening. Open our minds, illuminate our understanding, convict us about our sin and condition, comfort us in our fears and our sorrows, strengthen us in our inner man. Father, build confidence in our faith. And Father, transform us to live and act like your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at seven different certainties that are found in this book of 1 John. And so I encourage you to follow along as we look at some of these together today, as we look sort of thematically through this book and some things that we know for certain. What do you know for certain in your own life to be true? When you think about your own life, what do you know? What is it that you know is true, absolutely true, about your life? What is true about your life? Somebody said, what's true is death and taxes. Well, there's got to be more than that. What is true in your life? Hmm. Secondly, what's true about yourself? your own personal being. What is true about God? What do you know about God that you are certain that you know is true about God? How do you know? How do you know? 
Bible told me so. <laughs> but what is true in your relationship with the Lord? How confident are you in your relationship with the Lord? How confident are you that you are a Christian? I mean, this is an old question, but I, I want to ask it today. Suppose you were to die today. Let's just suppose you die today, and you're to stand before God. And he would ask you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? Why? Amen. So what does, another question I want us to consider today, what, how does a Christian act? How does a Christian live? Shouldn't the way we live have something to say about whether or not we truly are Christians? I mean, the question really is this. I mean, can you confess to be a Christian and then not live like one in your personal life and your relationships? Well, yes, obviously people do that. They confess that they are, but they don't live anything like one. So are they a Christian? Can that be true? Can you just say that you are, but then not live it? When I was a boy, I worried and thought a lot about whether or not I was saved. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with a godly mom and a dad. A father was a pastor, preacher, school teacher. I grew up in Sunday school. Went to, I mean, we, went, we did church, man. We did church. We, we did Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, outreach, visitation, bus ministry, RAs, GAs, sunbeams. I mean, we did it all. But as a boy, I remember because of the, conf- conf- the conflict that was in me with my own sin and the fear in me, I remember as a boy laying in bed and many times saying, am I saved? Will I go to heaven? Yeah, I had confessed. I believed certain things about Christ. I, I had been baptized as a boy, but am I? Am I? And I remember praying these prayers in desperation. God, if I'm not saved, save me now. Again and again. In college, I went through a time of depression in my own life. I'd been in an accident. Life was messed up. I was taking pain medicine. My back was messed up. I was in a depressed state. I didn't know who to talk to or where to go in my life. And I, 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 I wondered, am I even a Christian? Am I saved? Am I right with God? We struggle with deep issues in our life about what is true and not true. We struggle with our lifestyles and our beliefs and when they're in conflict with one another. We struggle receiving grace and we struggle extending grace. And 1 John uses again and again a verb form to know, and that word know over 30 times in this book. And every time he says, but we know, it is, it is we have certain knowledge that gives us strength. It's something we know, we can take to the bank, and we believe, and we know is true. And so I want us to look at some of those together today that's found in this beautiful book of 1 John. In 1 John, chapter number 2, verse number 29, I want us to look at this scripture verse for just a moment. Now notice the word, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well, everyone who's born, everyone who does what is right 
has been born of him. So the first thing that we know to be true, that a righteous life indicates regeneration. Notice in verse number 29, we know that he is righteous. There's no one unrighteousness in the Lord. He is completely righteous. There's no shadow in him. There's no sin in him. But understand this, everyone that does what is right has been born of him. If you've been born again, then you should, it should manifest in living a right life because this is what he does. When Jesus regenerates you, when God does a work of changing your heart, causing you to be regenerate or born again, then that is a transformation and change that he does in you. He does a work. He does spiritual surgery in your heart, and he's cutting out the sinfulness and the selfishness and the rebelliousness against God. And not only that, he's changing our heart, and he's putting into our life a desire to love God and love one another. It is, it is changing you. He removes certain things out of your life, that desire to get what I want and to steal, curse, and be unforgiving, and coveting, and unfaithful, and, and hateful in our life. And, 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 and we all have this scar tissue. We've all sinned, and that sin brings multiple layers of scar tissue in our own heart and our own being. Sin not only is against holy God, but sin has a damning effect in your own life. And your relationships were sinned against by others, and it brings scarring and hurting. But this is what it happens when we turn from sin and trust Christ, and he does a regenerating work in us. He not only is setting us free, he's changing us, he's putting things into our life. He heals the scar in your life. Whew, isn't that good? And he replaces it with love inside of you. And I've seen it happen again and again. How many of y'all believe that God's still changing lives today? Many years ago, I was pastor of another church in DeCoin, Illinois. I was going to college back in the day. And it had to be a long time ago because I've been here like since the ark landed. And so, uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> it was a long time ago. And, and there was a young man in his church, and he was a scoundrel. In every way. He had been married. He got married when he was a teenager. He had been unfaithful to his wife. He's an alcoholic. He, he drank. He did drugs. He lied. He stole. He was a, a carouser. He was, a, he was a, a fighter. He has been rested more times than you could count. He was lazy. You couldn't trust him. He had been so unfaithful to his wife, he'd caused all kinds of pain in the life. He used to beat her until she would black and blue. They had a little girl together. Her life was a mess. And so his wife told me one time, he said, she came home drunk one night. I thought I was going to get another routine beating, but I was ready. And I stood up to him, and he reached in a drawer and pulled out a pistol and shot at me three times. He was so drunk, he missed me a blue hose in the side of our trailer. I said, what did you do? She said, I put a butcher knife in his belly. Now, I didn't grow up in that kind of home. Maybe you did. 
But she brought her little girl to Bible school, and her little girl heard the gospel. And she stayed after Bible school one day, and she heard the gospel, and she gave her heart and her life to Jesus. And she started praying for Ricky, her husband. And in a few months, Ricky started attending the church. And in a few months, Ricky saw something different in her. And in a few months, Ricky walked down the aisle, and he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ, and he was saved. It was so transformative in his life that on a Wednesday night, a few weeks later, he and his Cheryl came together Wednesday night before prayer meeting, and we married them again and signed their certificates, and the whole church sang, and then we had prayer meeting together. It was beautiful. And Cheryl told me, she said, and we went in the other night to pray with our little girl, and as we knelt by her bed, we were saying a scripture verse together and prayed. She said, Mom, Dad, I am the happiest. I am the happiest girl in all the world. Eight years old. And she said, why are you so happy, honey? She said, it's just like we've got a brand new family. That's what God can do. He's changing lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is what he does. And he causes us to live a right life. In chapter number 5, verse number 18, do you have your Bible? Just look with me. Chapter number 5, verse 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not sin. I think we're going to have to drill down on this for just a minute. Does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. So let's look at this scripture verse together. First of all, he says, we know everyone who's been born of God does not sin. Now, you need to understand the translation, understand this word. It is meaning doesn't, it's a linear present. It is not, does not continually, habitually live in sin. So you're not living a lifestyle of sinfulness because that is not, does not compute if you are and have come to know the Lord, if you've been born of God. But then it says the one who is born of God keeps him. Who's that? Well, the one who's been born of God here means Jesus, the begotten, the one. And Jesus keeps him. Jesus guards him. Jesus protects him. This is the work of our Savior. Those that the Father's given him, he loses none of them. He guards us and protects us. It's just like in the book of Jude where it says, to him who's able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. This is the work that Jesus does. He holds and protects you. He keeps you fast. And the evil one does not touch you. The evil one does not touch him. I'm telling you, Satan may pester you, but he cannot touch you. He can't. One reformer said, we have a malignant foe, but more importantly, we have a vigilant guardian. Calvin said, Satan cannot inflict a deadly wound. 
because we are held by the life giver himself, the Lord Jesus. I love this hymn by Keith and Kristen Getty. And it's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Listen to it. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, but he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Amen. I'm telling you, God got a hold of you, and he's not going to let you go. Amen. But also he leads us, as we are born again, we know this, to keep his commandments. In 1 John chapter 2, verse number 3, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 3. And this is how we know that we know him. Here's, you see the word know again? We know for certain if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him but doesn't keep his commands, he's what? What is he? He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You see, this is, God is still working in you. And he is, he is, he, his love is being perfected in you. He's completing it in you. What God has started in you, he brings to completion. And his whole thing is to bring you to walk like he walked. So here's what he's done. As we looked in this first point, is number one, he's changed and is changing you. He's protecting you, and he is working in you. This is what God has done. We know these things. Second thing we know is that we shall be like him at his coming. How many of y'all believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? And the rest of you, I'd like to talk to you right after service, all right? In chapter number 3, verse number 2, Dear friends, we are God's children now. Don't you love that scripture verse? We are God's children now. Tell your neighbor, you're God's child. Yeah, now, right now. Yeah, now listen. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. So he's saying it's not fully revealed all that we are. But here's what we know. Now notice the we know, verse 2. We know, certainly, when he appears, we will what? Be what? Like him. Why? Because we will see him what? As he is. Can I tell you what? You know God's plan for you? God's plan for you is to change you and make you look like, act like, walk like Jesus. And he's not done with you. And he's going to continue to do that work all the way until the coming again of Jesus when it will ultimately be accomplished in your life. 
In Romans chapter number 8, listen to what Paul had to say. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to what? The image of his Son. So that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And that's God's plan for you, to make you to look like his Son. A couple of days ago, I had a friend of a uh, uh, breakfast with a friend of mine, and, and we were at a meeting together, and we were talking about his church and the state where he serves the Lord. And, and I was asking about his involvement at the state convention level, and he said, you know, I used to go and was very involved. My, my brother was hugely involved all over the convention, and everybody knows Gary. And I said, uh, and he said, you know, we're identical brothers. I said, yeah, I remember that, and he, uh, identical twins. And I said... Uh, he said, we look just alike. I said, you do? He said, yeah, look at me. He showed me his picture. I go, no. He said, yeah, we look just alike. And he said, so if I go to a meeting, everybody comes up to me and says, hey, Gary, and start talking to me. And I'm not Gary, I'm Jay. And so I said, he said, it doesn't really bother me. I love my brother, but it kind of gets old after a while. Can I tell you something really sweet? God's going to do something in you that you look and act just like Jesus in your life. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. When God would transform us. That's what God wants to do in your life. I love that scripture that Andrew read earlier. He said, we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory unto glory. And how's this? By the Spirit. He said, when we worship the Lord, love the Lord, and pray, and we open our heart, he said, from glory, from moment unto moment, there are times in glorious moment where we are looking through a mirror. It's not face to face, but in a mirror, and we see the glory of the Lord, and it changes us, it lifts us, it transforms us. But it fades. Oh, but there'll be a day when he comes again and we shall see him face to face and his glory will change us completely and we will be like him. Won't that be glorious? Amen. Number three, this is something that we know for certain that Christ came to take away our sins. Aren't you so glad in chapter number 3, verse number 5. But you know that he was revealed so that he might take away. Notice the word you know. This is something certain. He was revealed that he might what? Take away what? Sins. And there's no sin in him. And everyone who remains him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. Little children. Let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one that does not love his brother or his sister. He says, you know this. 
He was revealed that he might take away sins, and there's no sin in him. Now, listen, we all struggle with sin in our life. But here he's talking about this habitual sin. And if you're living in habitual sin, it indicates that you, may, you have not come to know him. He came to take away sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He's put his seed in you. Yes, we all sin, and John speaks to that. He said, if we say we haven't sinned, we lie, and the truth is not in us. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you think for a minute, I've sinned so deeply, Christ can't forgive me. My sins are so awful, the Lord will never accept me. How arrogant on your part to think that your sin's greater than God's grace. How arrogant of you. Your sins may run deep, but His grace runs deeper. Dark is the stain I cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, look, there's flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that's greater than all our sin. He, He loves you. And if He came to take away your sin, now listen, what He did it by the cost of Himself. Chapter number 2, verse 1, he says, I'm writing these things that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he, he alone, he himself, emphatically, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for only ours, but those of the whole world. He is the propitiation, he is the atoning sacrifice. He is the Holy One that died for unholy ones. He died in our place that He might bring us to God. This is what He has done for us. When we sin, listen, this is what Christ does. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sin. When we confess our sins, He forgives us of all of our sins. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who stands in the presence of God for us. He satisfied a holy God, fulfilled the law by dying on the cross for our sins, and He has set us free to live a brand new life. So, folks, this is what I know to be true. He can set you free, whatever has you. Secondly, you don't have to live like a victim anymore. You're not a victim. Number three, you don't have to live like a slave anymore. Those shackles are broken. Amen. And you don't have to live defeated anymore. And you don't have to live cloaked in shame and guilt anymore. Because our Savior has removed sin from you. Isn't that good news? Woo! That makes me happy. Number three, number four, whatever we're on. <laughs> we know this, that brotherly love indicates we've passed out of death into life. In chapter number three, verse number 14, 
have your Bible, look with me. We know we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one that does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And this is how we know we've come to know him. He laid down his life for us. And we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his fellow believer in need without, and withholds compassion from him, how does God loves, God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Now, what is this passage teaching us? That brotherly love indicates we have passed from death into life. One of the indicators, one of the clear signs that we've moved out of the realm of death over here into the realm of life over here, that we've been in God's relocation program out of death into life. And the way that we know that is how we deal with our brothers and our sisters. It's a real indicator of our life. And so when you abide in death, you don't love. When you abide in death, you're self-serving. When you abide in death, you tend to be hateful. When you abide in death, you withhold from giving. But when you abide in life, you love God, and you love others. And when you abide in life, you don't hate others. And when you abide in life, you want to give of yourself redemptively because you love them. Because as Christ laid down his life for you, so you're willingly lay down your life, your rights to love other people because you're doing what the one who redeemed you did. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his own cross, an instrument of sacrifice and redemption, and follow after me. Love acts. Love acts. Love serves. Love forgives. Love gives. Love doesn't withhold. Love is not judgmental. Love acts. And one of the ways we know we've come to know him is that we love brothers and sisters. So here's my question to you. Who have you shown love to this week? Who is in need of love in your life relationally? Is there hate in your heart or love in your heart? To whom will you be Jesus to this week? To whom will you be like Jesus? He laid down his life for us. He loved us while we were still sinful. And he came to us. What is it that you need to lay down so you can love other people? Let me tell you, listen to me, friends. I'm going to meddle for a moment. Stay with me. The hurting are all around us. And let me tell you what's not going to change them. Your legalism and your politics will not change their lives. And your opinions 
will not change their life. And your belittlement and making fun of them won't change their life. And your judgmentalism will not change their life. They are bound. They are in shackles. They are blind. They're confused. They're lost. And they need a Savior. And the only way they're going to find a Savior is that you start acting like your Savior in this broken world toward them. It's an incarnational gospel. You're living it out in your life in order that you might speak to them about the one who can change their life. They are helpless. They're hopeless. They're downcast. They're defeated. They're overlooked. They're vulnerable often. They're broken. And when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Recently, someone who was cutting my hair, and I'll just call her Amanda. As Amanda was cutting my hair, we were talking, and I said, did you, have you cut my hair before? She said, yeah, I think I did, but it's been pre-COVID, and we just talk, visited. I go to a barbershop that gets somebody different every time, usually. And I said, Amanda, tell me about your life. What's going on with you? She said, I wish you wouldn't ask. My life's terrible. I said, well, oh, I'm sorry. I said, well, what's going on? Well, I'm, I'm, I went through a divorce, and I've been living with this other guy, and I thought we were going to make it, and he left me. And we got two children, and they, their lives are a mess. And my mother abandoned me years ago when I was a kid, and my father left. I don't even know who he is. And I've been living with my grandfather, and my grandmother died, and now my grandfather's got a girlfriend. He told me I got to get out, and... My life's a mess. I don't know how I can feed my family on a little bit I make here. I just sometimes don't know what to do. I said, Amanda, does it feel like nobody really ever loves you? She goes, I, I, I don't know what it's like to know somebody loves me. I said, Amanda, you got a second? I know there's one. There's one who loves you. And he sent his son, and he died for you. And he cares about what you're going through, and he'll meet you right here today. He loves you, Amanda. And he's got plans for you. And he can change your life. I've seen him do it again and again. And I took just a moment and shared with her about Jesus, and she stopped me, and she stopped laid down her scissors, her clippers, and she said, do you mean he really could love me? And I just said, especially you. They are hurting all around us, my friends. Maybe we could get over ourselves for a minute and get over all of our politics and get over about this COVID thing and maybe we could just start seeing people lost all around us and love them with the love of Jesus. Amen? amen. amen. Should have been more amens than that. Amen. Thank you. Number five, know this, that he abides in us by the witness of the Holy Spirit. You're not left alone. The Holy Spirit is working in you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. 
The one who keeps his commandments remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. The way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Listen to me real close. The greatest gift you could have ever received in your life, God gave to you through Jesus Christ. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit that's in you. Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the Lord has given you of his Spirit. John 15, 5 makes no other sense no other way. Understand it. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. The same brings forth much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. God's Holy Spirit has come to take up residence in your life, and the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of you. Jesus, in the, uh, in the meeting with the disciples after the resurrection, you remember that story behind closed doors with his disciples. And he draws them close to him, and then this, this is the words he says, this isn't much social distancing, but this is what happens. He breathed on them. <laughs> Germs? No. He breathed on them. And he goes, <laughs> receive the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. And the word spirit means breath or wind. It's God's presence, his life-giving breath. Jesus promised that he would go to the Father, he would send this comforter, that we would receive the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of our sin. He reminds us of what Jesus taught us. He confronts us when we are not living rightly. He guides us. He leads us. He intercedes for us when we can't even pray. He prays words that we can't pray. And he empowers us when the Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. And he gifts us. He's given us gifts of his Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. These things he's given to us as his gifts. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. In the book of Romans, chapter number 8, Paul writes about this in verse number 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of the sin, but Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then who raised Christ from the dead will bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to live according to the flesh because you live according to, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's Son. 
And you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. Hallelujah. He abides in us. He guides us. Number six, he, we know this. He's given us eternal life. Chapter number five, verse number 13. Chapter number five, verse number 13. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Aren't you glad God has given you eternal life? He didn't give you temporary life. He didn't give you term life. He didn't give you whole life. He gave you eternal life. And that is awesome. Awesome. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly I say to you, anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Being a Christian is not knowing the facts about Jesus. It's more than that. You can know the facts. You can believe that it was God. You can believe that Jesus is God's son. You can believe that he was born of a virgin. You can believe he lived a sinless life. You can believe he died on the cross. You can believe he rose again, and you can believe he ascended into heaven, and you can believe he's coming again. But that does not make you a Christian. The demons believe that. But you must turn from your sin and you must trust in Jesus Christ and surrender to him as the Lord and master of your life. And you will be born again and have everlasting life in you. Hallelujah. Have you done that? Number seven, this is a good one. Don't go to sleep yet. Know this, that our prayers are answered. In chapter number five, verse number 15, verse 14 and 15, and this is the confidence we have before him if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears whatever we ask, and we know that we have what we've asked for of him. Is that a great promise? Amen. He says we know this to be true. If we ask anything according to his will. Jesus said, ask and you will see, receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened unto you. And when you pray according to his will, I'm not praying, God, I ask you to help me to win the lotto today. <laughs> Seriously. That's not what we're talking about. But when you pray and you say, dear God, I ask you to lead me. 
He answers that prayer. Dear God, I ask you to guide me. He answers that prayer. Dear God, I need wisdom in how to live this life. Wisdom, by the way, wisdom that comes from above is not whether you should buy a Chevy or a Ford. That is not what we're talking about. It's about how to live this Christian life to the glory of God. And he answers. He loves to answer his children. And he guides you. And he wants you to succeed for his glory. That is awesome. So what can we know for sure today? Number one, I want you to know this for sure. Write it down big and strong. God is for you. Number two, God is with you. Number three, God's forgiving you. Number four, God's protecting you. Number five, God's perfecting you. Number six, God's abiding in you. Number seven, God is changing you. And listen, and God is listening and answering you. Woo! That is something I know for sure. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your word. It's powerful, true, life-changing. Father, may these truths transform our thinking and our living. In Jesus' name, amen.